gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today, hosts Richard Mabian and Rich Gutowski continues their discussion on ecological improvement in the lives of inner-city, low-income residents. After all, ecological means the relationship of living beings to one another and to their physical surroundings. This is Black History Month. Richard, Rich, and their guests, Amy Jindusa English. Project Director, Energy Partnership Project at the National Community Action Partnership offices in Washington, D.C., will recognize that so far our society has denied blacks opportunity, which our majority white society has more freely accessed. Richard and Rich realize that treating people less favorably because of their race is a strategy that has failed to assure our our mutual planetary existence, and while perhaps discrimination has not caused climate catastrophe, time is now for all hands on deck to help each other weather the climate extremes. Humans must learn to live in harmony with the natural rhythms of the earth or perish. When we began the integration of our society in the 1960s, community action partnerships or CAP agencies were created by our government. Community action comes out of President Lyndon B. Johnson's War on Poverty and uh, from the advocacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The Economic Opportunity Act of 1964 created the Community Action Network of national and locally focused organizations that connect millions to greater opportunity. We at Eco Radio KC are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world, our goal is to assure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present for a sustainable future. This will be a great radio hour. Now our show. Okay. okay. All right, so, folks. This is Richard Mabian. I see I got my people on. Rick, how you doing, buddy? Doing good, Richard. Great to be here today. Yeah, it's good to see you. You've been a busy boy, pal. You and I, good. you know, for two people who are in two different cities and states, we we work together and we work together going in all kind of different directions, but we get it done. That's why I love working with you. It's a blessing. I guess tonight is I guess tonight is Amy. Amy, you wanna introduce yourself there for us, please? Thank you, Richard. Uh my name's Amy Jandusa English and I am with the National Community Action Partnership in Washington, DC. We are the umbrella organization for all of the community action agencies around the country. There are um about a thousand different entities that serve all the counties in the country. And of course, you know, Economic Opportunity Foundation of Kansas City, Kansas is one. Alrighty. Uh, Amy and I met, and I think it was Boston, wasn't it? Yeah, Boston. She was there uh, doing kind of during the pandemic, and she was talking about the reservation, and she had folks from DC that, that was on there because you know the. 
the, the money that's flowing out there in this country has caught the attention of all of your 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 contractors and stuff, and they was really sitting there excited about getting to do it. <laughs> and I went up and introduced myself to her and gave her a card, got her card, and told her that I wanted to talk to her about what we're trying to do here in Kansas City, uh, Rick and I in the Four City Project. And we had a, we, she and I had a conversation and I brought her up to date and we've been basically bonded by the hip since then. She's a major person for us. She's got, she's working off a Department of Energy grant, if I'm not mistaken. And through her, we met some good people. I met a great person through her in uh, uh, that, that session in Boston, even though we had to leave early. And Rick and I ended up having a chance to meet him personally because he became a speaker here in Kansas City. So that's kind of the connection for us being there. The reason that we're taking this step with her tonight, you know, each one of our, our, our sessions Rick and I are producing are dealing with people who are at various stages of the strategy that we want to plan to create a prototype uh, it started, we're still talking four cities, but I'm telling you, when people hear about it, they immediately want to figure out ways they can get that city involved, too. So we somewhere between four and ten cities, let's put it like that. And um, so what this step is about, common sense tells me, I, I'm a person who went into the social service industry out of college, with an organization in St. Louis called Grace Hill Settlement House that operated with a umbrella-type management system. And when you're dealing with the caliber, the portion of the population we're working in, many people have a lack of trust because over the time, let's say from the 60s to now, they have seen all type of unscrupulous individuals that have been managing these grants and have done everything from hiring their sister who don't even live in the city and got her on the payroll to get rid of that money. So there, we're finding that we're working on a way to be able to have some consistency in our management. And so the reason we're here to talk to Amy tonight, and what I'm saying to her, Tanya, you is the first time she's heard it. Let's explore, her let's question, how let's decolonize we, how together. Can we, on... she, wants, she wants our input, we want her input um, when we're doing our strategizing on the management style, how with a group like the CAP agencies, work as that possible outlet for us to use. Now, we're not saying we're going to, but at least it gives us a group to use in our planning stage as the type of group that we would want to have because the number one thing is to have consistency. So if we got four cities we work with, or 10 cities we're working with, we want the management in each of those areas to be consistent, or we won't be able to use them as a proof of concept. Rick, does that pretty much say it? You off. Yeah, you off. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so, Richard. I mean, listen, um, we're dealing with cutting-edge social science, which is agile, place-based, and cross-sector. Agile means you're going to work with the people that are ready to work with you now and continually iterate and get better with, with each learning experience. Place-based means each place that we do it in has a very unique history, has a unique culture, has unique people. So I think it's umbrella principles, umbrella framework, and I think if we're really successful, it'll be a tech platform where we connect uh, people uh, efficiently. Okay. So, yes, umbrella in the new context, if we talk about umbrella in the 1964 context, we might get more of the same. Right. Okay. So, Amy, now we come over to you. We know what was used in uh, 64 when they designated the thousand, the thousand agencies. And one of the things they had was some consistency in how those agencies were being managed. You know, I know it hasn't always been fruitful. So that's why I'm using, there's another word, another name they got, Rick, for this kind of management. What is it, backbone or something like that? Uh, oh, go ahead, Amy. No, I was going to say I'm not sure what you're thinking of. If Rich knows, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Richard, yeah, they so so backbone was the term they used ten years ago, right? And and it came out of Strive in Cincinnati, where a bunch of the wealthy people around the the community uh, invested a lot of money to try to get everybody on the same page all at once. It just it does doesn't work that way. So okay. what they're using now is a model that's opportunistic. Okay. So, so I'm using agile to mean the same thing, meaning when you go into a community, you, you have a set of umbrella principles and processes. The people who agree to work under those principles and processes, they're the ones that join in. If it's three people, mm -hmm. it's three people, it's 300, it's 300. So you start with what you have, people that are aligned with your values, your process, and your principles, and then you, you, you see what grows from there. All right, Andy. Sure. I'd like... I know that we're coming up on a break. I want to make sure that I can speak to the question that you raised. I think right. that bringing up the concept of having standards is really important. So if you're looking at any, if you're looking to roll out a pilot, which would eventually become more nationwide, the Community Action Network is a wonderful network to work with um, because we have local agencies that do a community needs assessment for their area to tailor federal programs to the needs of the local community. But the expertise, since you mentioned, since 1964, um, they have expertise in creating standards for managing federal funds, and that's a very important piece of the puzzle for anything that you want to do. You started off by mentioning that there have been scandals, um, and there are an awful lot of rules that come along with using federal funds appropriately, uh, and our network usually excels at that. So our, at the National Partnership, one of the things that we do is offer training and technical assistance and, um, you know, executive leadership development trainings uh, to the rest of the network on things like developing organizational standards, um, you know, pursuing different um, metrics for measuring organizational excellence, um, all of the things that come along with properly and exceptionally managing federal funds and you know, coming up with the best possible results and being able to tailor them in such a way that you can duplicate them in other parts of the country in the same way. 
I think that you hit it right on time. We got two minutes before we take mm-hmm. a break. So I want to kind of set a scenario that we're going to go into when we come back in. The the umbrella uh, 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 management system that I worked in with, what they did was hire the best that money could buy for each one of the positions that was at the command center. They had, It was like central office. Everything that was everything that needed to be known was hired in the person that worked there. So that that would you have a person that was expert on first of all accounting. That's really important. Dotting those I's and crossing those T's. And everybody has to respect that person that's there because of what they know they're doing. Then each one of the groups you work with, whether it was aging, youth, on down the line, had a person there that was excellent in what they were doing. Then when you got into the neighborhood centers, they hired people that were graduates of Jane Addams School of Social Work. But past them, Everybody hired was from the neighborhood that that center was in. That's kind of a model that we, I'm in my mind, operating from. And that is new where we're going with Rick, but that's why we want to see what's the best way for us to do it. Okay, we're down to our last minute. We're going to take our break. This is Richard Mabian. I'm here at KKFI.org. We will be back. Let's explore. Let's question. Let's decolonize together on Ebony's Bones. Tune in every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. The KKFI Winter Fun Drive is coming up February 10th through the 19th. It's a great time to support your local community radio station as we celebrate 35 years on the air in 2023. So tune in and pledge your support during the KKFI Winter Fun Drive starting February 10th. I'm fascinated. Here's a calendar for the week of February 6, 2023. Registration has begun for Paddle Missouri to support the Missouri Stream Team Watershed Coalition. Go to paddlemo.org. Tuesday, February 7th, 2 p.m., there is a virtual event. State uses a volunteer collected data spotlight on Michigan and Missouri. This webinar will highlight effects of the Missouri Stream Team and Michigan Clean Water Corp spanning from project level data use to state and watershed level data use. For more info and to register for the Zoom link, go to mostreamteam.org. Tuesday, February 7th, 5.30 p.m. Growing and Raised Beds, hosted by Kansas City Community Gardens. This free event will share which crops grow best in raised beds. It will be held at Kansas City Community Garden Swope Park Headquarters, 6917 Kingsington Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. To register, visit kccg.org. Tuesday, February 7th, 7 p.m., Kanza, group of the Kansas chapter of the Sierra Club, hosts legislative update with Zach Pastora at UCC Colonial Church, 7039 Mission Road, Prairie Village, Kansas. You can join virtually or in person RSVP by February 7th at act.sierraclub.org. Thursday, February 9th, 2 p.m., a free webinar with authors Sally Morgan and Kim Stoddard in discussion of their new book, The Climate Change Garden, Down-to-Earth Advice for Growing a Resilient Garden. 
For more info and to register, go to greenabilitymagazine.com. Saturday, February 11th, 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Cultivate KC's Farmers and Friends Meeting is a chance to meet local urban farmers. The annual event brings together local farmers and foodies to provide information, start conversations, and invite participants to dream about what a healthy food system looks like for Kansas City. The event will be held at PlexPod Westport Commons, 300 East 39th Street, Kansas City, Missouri. For more info, go to register to www.cultivatekc.org. Saturday, February 11th, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Trees, sap to syrup. Bundle up for an outside adventure and learn how to tap maple trees at free workshops held at Anita B. Gorman Conservation Discovery Center, 4750 Troost Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri. For more info and to register, go to MDC. Dot mo dot gov. Saturday the 11th, 2 to 4 p.m., Northeast Sustainability Town Hall is a chance to learn about sustainability issues impacting Kansas City's historic Northeast neighborhood. Hosted by Jerusalem Farm, the free event will be held on the Independence Boulevard Christian Church, 606 Gladstone Boulevard, Kansas City, Missouri. The event is open to anyone in the public. Childcare will also be available. It is encouraged to RSVP via Facebook. Stay involved. Check your local political bodies for environmental issues. My name is Jackie Bean. Thanks for listening to Echo Radio KC. All right, this is Richard Mabian again, and welcome back. Well, I'm here with Rick, my normal host, and Rich, my normal host, and uh, Amy, who is our national uh, person representing the national cap agencies. And uh, right before we went off, we kind of laid out a, a scenario there about the caliber of management that we're looking at. So what I want to do on this part is to sit and listen to YouTube, uh, kind of explore, Rick, uh, the various aspects of what you know or we're talking about having a need for management to see how Amy feels based on her experience of working with our cap, our, our cap agencies how, how that would work, how that fit, what does she think would else would be needed, or what do you think we need to would be needed? Okay, that makes sense. Well, I can I can speak first to that if you'd like. It Go seems ahead. like Rick is having trouble getting off of mute. Um, I think what you're trying to do is going to involve outside independent funders private investors, right? Right, right? And that actually dovetails really well with the community action model um, because community action is based on, like they call it, the tripartite board structure. So there is a three-legged um, stool built of community, business, and nonprofit, right? Or community, right. business, and government. So community representation, local businesses, and government. So when you, you have that P not all social service programs involve the local business community or private investors, but the community action model has that kind of baked into it, and that's good. So if you're going to be running a program that is using private investor dollars and also seeking to dovetail it with federally funded programs, the Community Action Network is a really good uh, way to make that happen. Um, in 
programs like the weatherization program, they call that leveraging, so bringing in outside dollars to boost the impact of federal funds. That is something that community action agencies usually are looking for opportunities to do. And so to have an opportunity to run a program where they could spend some of their federal funds and bring in outside investors, that's something that community action model um, in general uh, should be willing to accommodate. So you're kind of, when you when you say all the things that you've been saying so far, you're kind of speaking community action. Uh, and then for context, so many of our federal programs, um, things that have to do with workforce development and energy efficiency and green jobs in particular, they have received a lot of additional funds. So the weatherization program has $3.5 billion in excess, not excess, but additional new funds from the bipartisan infrastructure law. And there are a whole bunch of other programs coming out through the Inflation Reduction Act um, that are impacting different energy efficiency um, development opportunities and energy efficiency job training. So there is nationwide a boom in green jobs, and I believe that the job piece is one of the most important cornerstones in the project that you're developing. So I feel like you, you've got your you're, you're striking the right note and you're hitting it at the right moment. And like, there's just it's just a matter of figuring out where to go first. Okay. Yeah, so, so Amy touched on a lot of great stuff, and it dovetails into your previous question about the umbrella, Richard, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't a CAP agency allowed to get grants from different federal government programs, right? Yeah, so most of our network uh, administers, there's a variety of programs that they can administer, but the kind of core offering of most community action agencies, well, first of all, what what makes a community action agency is the use and re the receipt and use of community services block grant funds, mm -hmm. um, and so that is kind of the that's core to the identity of a community action agency. Mm -hmm. um, of most of our network or many of our network also administer the HHS funded Head Start program. Um, the LIHEAP program, which is the low-income home energy assistance program. Of course, the home weatherization program, which is the one that I know the most about. Um, and then many other programs that are less um, ubiquitous because they will individually go after administering state and local programs as well. So they're kind of a hub for running things. Yeah, so, so uh, Richard, when you talk about an umbrella, you know, what I'm thinking about is this, an agency like the CAP agency that has access to all of those programs, right? right. The question is, you know, where does that subject, the subject matter experts come from mm -hmm. for weatherization, for workforce development, for, you know, uh, if you want to do a public benefit corporation, where does the talent come from? And in my experience, you usually don't train that talent up in a classroom. Do you know what I mean? That's classroom training is certainly part of it, right? But where does it come from? Mm -hmm. Have you given that any thought? You talking to me? I'm talking to you, Richard. Yeah, oh, I, I, I personally think that those would be the people who we hire. I think they're there. I think they're out there. They've just been waiting on the opportunity. I love when Amy's mm -hmm. talking, and they, we'll talk about something I said, but they, but they had never had a Richard Major. Well, that's the same thing we talked about. We haven't created the opportunity for people to even foresee this is something that they can get into. One of the groups that I'm really looking into 
is the 24 to 40-year-old college graduates who have become disenfranchised with the world of work in America. These are the ones they can't even get a job and what they graduated from college with. These people are very frustrated. These are the ones that's going out there taking them a job at night manager at a McDonald's and then spending their whole day trying to figure out how they can create their own business because they don't see a future in going to work with somebody because that field has been stripped down to, as you talk about, Rick, this is coming right to your area, of the few, the, the small number of people who are making all the money. And, you know, these people now aren't that way. That's crazy. I'm not going out here and give up my whole life and you making all the money and I'm getting paid pennies. So that is a group that I think could really be looked at for that type of leadership we're talking about, even if it's going to require them <clears throat> to receive some more training. I think that's where the I see that as being the place for the government grants over the government grants being there for the program. If you're using that as uh, Keeley was talking about with workforce partnership, where they're using their money for a person to get some additional training, okay, I think that would be an ideal place for that to fit into it. I would I would say if you're looking for a hub of subject matter experts on weatherization and energy efficiency training, there's the BPI, which is the Building Performance Institute. There's BPA, which is the Building Performance Association. And then there's IREC, which is the IREC, stands for Interstate Renewable Energy Council. And in my mind, those are kind of the big three um, voices on training and workforce development around weatherization and energy efficiency-related uh, jobs. So we know na nationwide there's a, there's a shortage of, uh, like, most of the weatherization and energy efficiency groups are ha having trouble recruiting workers. And so if what they need are the community-based organizations that can find the people who would be good candidates for the jobs. So exactly what you're talking about, Richard, um, they're they're not getting enough people applying for the jobs that they already have. And it's how do you find the people that would make a good energy efficiency worker or a good weatherization worker? Right. And the, the demographic that you described, some of that some of that identification process needs to happen at the local community-based level because right. it's different in different parts of the country. So you may, in some parts of the country, you have folks that are in the, the situation that you described. In other parts of the country, you may have folks that are transitioning from one field into another or, you know, right. it depends. So that's right. where that local piece is so important because if you have a big national think tank making these grandiose ideas, you know, predictions, um, it, it can roll out differently at the local level. And that's what's happening right now is that it's being mm -hmm. done from the top. And I agree with you 100%. Like that, remember I said that when they went through the central office, that the next mm -hmm. level of people who they hired for was the was the was the, uh, the the center op, person who was director of the center in each in five individual neighborhoods, and that person came to them from a James Adams School of Social Work who had been trained mm -hmm. with all the outlet the knowledge of where you should go and what you should do to be able to create the kind of services they needed out of the neighborhoods. 
but past them came neighborhood people. So mm-hmm. that's exactly the type of model that I think when we get into the strategy phase that we ought to be able to do. Come on, Rick. Well, listen, so you guys are touched on some really, really good points. So not only is there a shortage of weatherization workers, when we've got these geopolitical problems that are are sort of making global supply lines untenable, when we start moving manufacturing back, if we've got a labor problem now, think about that. So that problem's only going to get worse. So if you're a business person or you're a social impact investor or a social impact entrepreneur, You've got to look at that big picture. It is a strategic advantage if you can take a Richard Mabion janitorial company and raise up 298 good workers and be profitable. The companies that control those workers should have a strategic advantage in the marketplace. So we mm-hmm. talk about workforce development. What we're talking about is workplace development. Place development right? Yes. So, so, so we're we're marrying this social science concept of workforce with this concept of we need to change the workplace. Mm-hmm. Right? Who owns it? Well, the, the one thing that we, that who I'm hoping will be the next person we have on, and Amy, we might invite you back because of your role, um, is a Bill Smart out of North Carolina. And we met with him, and this is when Rick was teaching me how to be a capitalist over, over a, a thinking like a capitalist instead of nonprofit. Uh, and instead of him giving us a price what he would charge just to do the training, Rick immediately got in conversation with him about him partnering with us. And so that way you're not just talking about a one job here. You're talking about if we're doing it in four places or ten places, you're talking about guaranteed you got this job at each one of these places. Now, let's come back, let's say, okay, that. The areas, those 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 uh, outfits that you listed, you list, listed three, uh, Amy, uh, BMI, whatever they were, all those different places. Those are the ones that are certifying the people that's getting that kind of training, right? Yeah, and there's there's another piece I'd like to add if you could let me have go ahead. Like oh, so we got ten more seconds. We, we, go ahead. You take the last yeah. few minutes. Because you said the word certification, and you also mentioned um, the younger generation of folks who went through college and have a degree that isn't getting them the job that they want. Um, In the energy efficiency world, especially in weatherization, there are certifications that can be obtained that need to be obtained. So one is a quality control inspector and one is a certified energy auditor. And both of those um, uh, certifications are required to work on federally funded weatherization jobs. And we are in the midst of a national conversation about um, the, there's a problem getting job seekers to be able to pass the written portion of that exam. And it's becoming sort of an equity concern around how is that exam written? Does it require a college level education in order to pass it when we're trying to recruit non-college level workers to get into this field? Um, and so that's an entire equity dimension that maybe we could revisit in the next segment because I know that we're getting up. Yeah, Yeah, we're right there on the cut. Let's pick up from there when we come back, but I like where we're going. I like what we are saying here tonight, Rick, Amy. We're hitting it without on our own individual areas, and it's coming back to it's all about one. Richard Mabian here at KKFI. We'll be back. I'm here with Rick and Amy, and we're going to finish up this last part of the show. Thank you, and please stay tuned. 
bringing the positive vibes and good tunes every Tuesday morning. Steady roll down Easy Street with me, your wise guy, Easy Ed. We're hitting all musical directions from jazz, soul, rock to blues, funk and hip hop, where we unify genres and connect the artist with the listener with facts, stories, and a chill atmosphere. We have right on grooves, spinning wax, and motivating beats that'll guarantee to get your foot tapping. Get your morning started every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. by taking a cruise down Easy Street. If you or someone you know is suffering from thoughts of suicide, you can dial the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988 or go to 988lifeline.org. This is a public service announcement of 90.1 FM KKFI. Now, sit in a comfortable position, close your eyes, and listen very closely to the sound of my voice. This is Barry Lee. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. for Signal to Noise right here on KKFI. Every week, music to stimulate the mind and relax the soul. Now, as you listen, you will begin to relax. Alrighty, this is Richard. I'm back again here with Amy and Rich. And uh, before we was going off, uh, Amy, you were kind of making an explanation of this about that certification deal. That's important. You, may, uh, you know, that's another area. And, and Rick, this is going to come back over into you because we got a younger age group that we're working on, like K through 12, to prepare them for for things in life. So let me hear how you think those kind of things can work out. Yeah, so I think that was a great segue because um, it's really an indictment in some respects, no offense to any teachers out there, but of our educational system. And when we think about training, we're always thinking about classroom and a teacher and instructor. But the truth is the majority of people learn through participatory and experiential learning. So in order to train up good weatherization people that can pass that test, they probably need to come in in a different role, work in the field, See how that testing is done experientially. Watch someone who's done it before, then try it themselves and get corrected on the job. Then when they go to take that test, I think there'll be a much higher pass rate. So when I say creating supportive workspaces, it's not only treating people with dignity that they may have never experienced before in a workplace or sometimes even in a home or a school. You know, Richard, you've been in the school. You know what I'm talking about. Right. They, they, need, to be, they need to be retaught some of those life skills. They need to be retaught with socio and emotional supports that they may not have had in, in the past. So it's really about rethinking the workplace. And, and 10 years ago, you had a choice between a nonprofit and a for-profit company. That was it. But now we have something called the Public Benefit Corporation, right, which you can organize for social impact. So you, you apply the discipline of business and the sustainability of business but you do it within the context of not trying to make the most money necessarily, but to do the most good. Well, the truth is in a business, part of doing the most good is how you develop and grow your employees so that you can take it, the, 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 the business becomes the training ground. So yes, there is a place for workforce development, 
But I think in our model, every business is about workforce development, primarily about that. So, so yes, if it's alternative ecosystem, all of these pieces have worked separately. I think we're just the first ones talking about putting them all together. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I, uh, when you made that comment, Amy, about people not being able to pass the test, that's a major reason that Rick and that came together because we have to address that. We got to address it before they walk out there to take the test. You know, mm -hmm. we have to get them back at a point where they said, that's where Uncle Bob became a factor. So we're going to get Uncle Bob, who everybody who, who can become the role model for the people that's coming behind him so they can see that this is something that I'm going to need to be able to do. I like what's happening with Uncle Bob. I want that job. I like him mm -hmm. being able to be who he is. He didn't have to stop being who he was to be able to do what he's doing, you know. And so that's what we want to be able to give people the motivation to become. And if and we have found, like he was just saying with me with the janitorial service, the one thing I found when a requirement became a factor because of the workplace and what it was making people feel, you know, the, 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 the family-oriented job, you know, the positive peer culture, the positive work experience motivated people to get off off their butt and do whatever it was they needed to do to get this job. So that's what it is you want to do. Go ahead. Yeah, and I think um, taking it back to sort of the, the national level, one of the ways that they talk about that is they, they talk about career mapping. So you want our prospective job seekers to feel like that this is not just a job but a career right. and that there are different and there are different points of entry to, to transition into this field. So when I was talking about the certification and the college versus non-college, um, we, we want to make the entire field um, appealing and have value to the people who need the job. So right. there may be certain folks who feel like when they hear about it, it sounds like a job that would not be good for them because they do have a college degree and it sounds like manual labor. Or you may have folks who are looking for an entry-level position and um, they think that the job sounds too complicated and it must require some sort of advanced certification. The fact of the matter is that there are all levels of jobs in the energy efficiency world, in the green job sector, and in weatherization uh, specifically. And so being able to figure out how a prospective work population could best access this new field um, is, and again, that's like there's there's a lot of resources out there for it, but that's where we need help in on the ground in the community and, and making it happen. Right. Right. Uh, I, I uh, use the term juncture at this juncture because mm -hmm. I think that we're what we're doing initially will fade away as we continue to move forward, it will become normal, it will become commonplace. But at the initial juncture, you may have to do some things that you normally wouldn't do to get a person to feel good about moving forward. Uh, I agree with that. the reason I, I, I use the janitorial service as for my, for my research was that people would say things like Malcolm X in his book and in the movie when they had on him said the teacher would sit up and say, well, I don't even know why you try trying. You're going to end up being such and such anyhow, so why are you even trying? And that's the way they have worked with many low-income people. Well, you know, people would criticize somebody. I heard them say, well, you, you better get in there and get that work done. You're going to end up being a janitor. When I was in St. Louis, 
I got turned on to janitors who had ended up learning everything it was to maintain the building. So they were not only the janitors from the cleaning, they ended up buying these older homes. And like we're doing now, we're talking about retrofitting homes. And they ended up having all these, these, these what, six family flats. <clears throat> That's what they built back in St. Louis and area. And, but they did everything. They knew how to do the air conditioning. They knew how to fix the roof. They knew how to take care of those buildings. And if you want to talk about them being a janitor, yeah, they did some janitorial work. But those people made money because they did it all. So we want to be able to put people in a position that they can see that even though it may not be the kind of jocks like doctors, lawyers, and Indian kids, that might not be what they ended up doing. But none of those people ever got in trouble again. And every one of them became a productive damn citizen doing whatever it was they had to do to maintain their family. So that's the that family thing. That comes in the process of us doing what we're doing. Yeah, and but Richard, um that's all true. But you paid three times the minimum. Yeah, well, yeah, that's good. Yes, and you but you still made a good living. Yes. You just didn't move to Johnson County. That's it. You didn't move to the suburbs to a gay yeah. community. You stayed in the community. That's right. So, so you said, well, so that's a really important concept. But that's important. Also, yeah. That's career mapping. Hey, guys, yeah. you're not a janitor. Yeah. If you listen to me, we'll teach you, and this is a pathway for you to be a property manager. And right. oh, by the way, I'm mm -hmm. going to pay enough money that you can buy a building. Right. 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 That's what. That's the proof of concept we had many years ago that we need to recreate on scale. That's right. And I think mm -hmm. that's now possible. Yeah. Anybody that wants to learn about that supportive sort of work environment, one of the places you can find it is at the B Lab. You can just Google B Lab, and um, they've got a whole program set up. Some of it's for small companies, some of it's for larger companies. I personally think it's got to take a step further from that. Yeah. And there's got to be employee ownership of these companies and a pathway to ownership. So. Well, I'm hoping that's it because that's what I'm selling everybody. I tell them the thing about you that I like the most is that you're dealing with people in a sense that they're going to deal with it or being the owners of the business itself. I talk in terms of you using a percentage of the profit to create like 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 credit unions, you know. I mean, you know, to have a way for people to find invest their money into the lending institution. You know, that's one thing about the uh, 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 the, the the Latinas coming across the borders. You know, they get their financing from people that they get money from. Go ahead, uh, Amy. Oh, I actually didn't. I was just stretching. Oh, you're stretching. Yeah, without because yeah. the lending institutions treat them the same way they do all the way some people. They find reason, like we were just talking about, with the money that's coming through the grants to eliminate the low-income people from the start with just qualifying statements. Like, if you haven't had a grant, you can't qualify for this $2 billion we're getting ready to give out as environmental justice grants. Well, I've never had one. I've applied for them, and you, it's nowhere in the world you can't tell me that was because of my density. They have other people they would pick. They had other ways of doing it. So we have to figure out a way to be able to provide those people, Rick talks about it all the time, with the type of income they can have to be able to create those kind of businesses, you know, to get them started, again, at this juncture. So there's a, there's a phrase I like to use. Like, so Richard and I are practitioners, Amy. So we have a practitioner's mm -hmm. bias. 
And um, and we struggle sometimes with people who are really smart and come out of academia, and we struggle with the people making the grants because we completely understand why they need to do it the way that they do it. But it's a lot of really good people trapped in a very challenging right. system. Right. And, and and I I was on many nonprofit boards, and when we did a community assessment, we reassessed our community any way we needed to to qualify for the grant. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's kind of like the tail wagging the dog. Um, but but I think as an example, I'll, I'll try to be quick. But you know, in Kansas City, there is a uh, assisted living subject matter expert. I'm going to give you a real life example. And um, he was on a bunch of uh, nonprofit boards, too, and we were both very frustrated with this whole granting system, private and public grants. It's in the, the accounting and the, you spend 40 percent of your time on things that aren't really making a difference. So I just said, look, would you be willing to do your philanthropy as a, as a joint venture partner? Instead of giving the money away, would you partner with us in a business? And so we worked it out so that we would do three assisted living centers and he would get a management fee so he could justify to his for-profit partners and his wife or his family that, hey, I'm doing philanthropy, but we're getting paid for it. But, but we would get to keep the equity buildup in the business, and we would provide the financing, and we would get the excess profit. We would use those excess profits uh, and share them with the employees in the form of um, impact, individual impact investment accounts that they would have to use to reinvest in the local economy. So that when we had one of these people who got certified as a weatherization company, they'd be able to go get the money for their own business from one of the people working at these assisted living centers. You follow me? That's one small example. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, we've kind of got everybody at the table. We're just pulling stuff together. So, Amy, hopefully you'll see that in a month or so. Yeah. 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 I'm very optimistic. You're speaking all the right – you're saying all the right stuff. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, I told you I had to go speak with the uh, black legislators for the state of Kansas this morning as an emergency type of deal. And when I got up, the what I did is I took the book, uh, the, 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 the one that dealt with the 50-year failure of the war on poverty. And I broke out the sheet on them that talked about the unmet, the unmet promise. And, and you know, and, and for them, they it was kind of like Zach and I was there. We were just kind of caught off guard because it took them somewhere that no one else has been taking them. And they started realizing that. And, and, and you know, as black legislators, no one's coming to them with some solutions. Mm -hmm. You know, all they hear is complaints. But here they sitting there, and they said, you know, they told Zach, we want you to write this up, get it to us, so we can write a letter from the black legislators to EPA, and said, we want to support this 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 program they're trying to work on. He said, this is what I think we're supposed to be able to do. So that was God, as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to tell you straight out, because that I didn't go up there. I wasn't even trying to talk to him about anything, because we knew we didn't have enough time. But it worked itself out. I see we got two fingers up. I'm going to let both of you have a statement or say something here on the way out. If you want to give a number or something for people to get back with you, do that. All right, let me go first, and then, Amy, I'll let you finish up. But um, real quickly, so my friend that's a subject matter expert in assisted living, if it had anything to do with uh, grants, public or private, he didn't want anything to do with it. So as a teaser for next time, Amy, I just uh, – I don't know whether you can answer it tonight, but we'll think about it. But could there be a performance-based grant system where we don't have to – do all the grant application, all that stuff. If we just achieve your KPIs, 
could we get a performance-based grant instead of a, a grant for doing the work? Yeah, that's a that's a huge topic to seg you know to segue on to me when we have one minute left. I would say first of all, um, Amy doesn't have money, so I'm not going to be creating a grant pro program of my own. Um, I do know that many federal grants are some partially linked to performance in some way. I mean, you have to meet certain metrics, so it's not unheard of. Um, I just I think that um, probably we need to. Further this conversation, we'll further in, conversation. In, in the future because we're going to get cut off and there's so much yeah. more to discuss. So if anybody has any questions about community action or community action and energy justice movements, feel free to, I would say, email me. My email address is aenglish at communityactionpartnership.com, conventional spelling, all lowercase, no dots or dashes. So I'm just excited to be here and to know that um, you're launching this neat project. All right, gang, we got to go. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Thank Good you, night, everyone. We appreciate you. Good night. Good night, guys. Yes, ma'am. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here's some environmental news for the week of February 6, 2023. Democracy Now! reports six western states that rely on the colorado river for their water supply have agreed to drastically cut water use in response to the federal government's call for a concentrated plan to conserve water at a time of critical water shortages a seventh state california remains at odds with the plan reached by arizona colorado nevada new mexico utah and wyoming suggesting major cities like phoenix and las vegas should be cut off from the water supply in order to protect California's agriculture. Two decades of climate change-fueled drought have brought reservoirs at Lake Powell and Lake Mead dangerously close to what's known as Deadpool, when water levels become so low it no longer flows through the dams. The Environmental Protection Agency announced federal protection for Alaska's Bristol Bay watershed under the Clean Water Act in a major victory for environmentalists and indigenous groups which have fought against the development of Pebble Mine for over two decades. The move will bar a proposed gold and copper mine that would have destroyed the world's largest sake salmon fishery. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is expected to green light a scaled-down oil and gas development project in northern Alaska led by ConocoPhillips, known as the Willow Project. The Willow Project would pump more than 600 million barrels of oil from a fragile ecosystem. Environmental advocates are calling on President Biden to block a final permit. Environmental and indigenous groups have long warned it would disrupt fragile wildlife and contribute to the climate crisis. ExxonMobil announced a record-smashing $59 billion in profit last year, up by over 150% from the previous year. This comes after Chevron recently announced a $35.5 billion in 2022 profits, also a new record. Climate groups say the massive earnings underscored a need for a windfall profits tax. The group stopped the oil profit said, we're paying more for gas and electricity because big oil companies are gouging Americans and benefiting from a rigged system that keeps prices high in times of war and crisis.
climate activists with Greenpeace scaled a massive shell vessel in the Atlantic Ocean as it headed to the British North Sea, displaying a banner that read, Stop Drilling, Start Paying. Activists used ropes to climb onto the platform, and the four that made it aboard say they had enough supplies to occupy the ship for days. Inside Climate News reports, after two decades of controversy, the EPA used its veto power to kill the pebble mine in southwest Alaska. The move protects the world's most abundant sockeye salmon run and a vital commercial fishery. Meanwhile, the Biden administration is expected to endorse limited drilling in an Alaska project known as the Willow Project. Electric utilities are likely responsible for our nation's higher than expected emissions of sulfur hexafluoride, a greenhouse gas 25,000 times worse for the climate than carbon dioxide, while emissions of sulfur hexafluoride, the world's most potent greenhouse gas, have fallen sharply in the U.S. in recent decades. Actual emissions are significantly higher than the official government estimates according to a new study done between the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the Environmental Protection Agency. The man-made gas is used by electric companies to quickly interrupt the flow of electricity in high-voltage circuit breakers. EcoWatch reports Nearly 14,000 Nigerian farmers and fishermen sued Shell Oil for destroying their livelihood with oil pollution. Residents can no longer farm and nearly all the fish have died. The oil giant Shell has exploited the Niger Delta for more than half a century and left it one of the most polluted places on earth in the words of Amnesty Internationals. The lawsuit calls on the company both to clean up the devastating pollution and compensate them for its effects. The largest fossil fuel plant in New York City could become our nation's first to convert to renewable energy. There is a proposal to repower a generation station in Long Island City to use offshore wind energy, a conversion that would mark a national first. It would be considered cheaper to build new renewable energy capacity than it is to continue operating nearly every existing coal plant in the United States, a new report from Energy Innovation finds. Of the country's remaining 210 coal-fired power plants, more than 99% cost more to run than it would cost to replace them with new renewable energy. New York City Mayor Eric Adams announced that four hire vehicles, including Uber and Lyft vehicles, need to reach zero emission by 2030. The move is meant to match the city's target of electrifying its vehicle fleet. There are over 100,000 four hire vehicles in New York City. Kansas Reflector reports. In the last 50 years, the abundance of global wildlife has collapsed 69% because of too many people, too much consumption, and growth mania, according to Paul Ehrlich, who completed his Ph.D. in biology at the University of Kansas in 1957. He also says that in order to support our lifestyle, it would take the equivalent of five more Earths to provide the resources. Those resources, he noted, and 
include biodiversity that we're wiping out. We're causing a crisis of mass extinction on a scale unseen since the dinosaurs. Consider, for example, the lesser prairie chicken. The prairie chicken is considered a keystone species whose presence in a habitat indicates that it is healthy. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service listed it as threatened in western Kansas. Shortly after, the Kansas House of Representatives initiated a legislative challenge seeking to overturn the decision. A Kansas House bill imposing a new tax on electric vehicles charging stations to support a Kansas Highway Repair Fund uh, reliant on fuel tax revenue would amount to a double taxation because owners of all electric cars and trucks paid a higher registration fee to the Kansas Department of Revenue. That fee, approved by the 2019 legislature, was designed to make up for EV owners avoiding the fuel tax of 24 cents per gallon earmarked for highway repairs and construction. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in next week or listen to our podcast at any time. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Drysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone This is Professor Howard Zinn. The independent, non-commercial radio station you're listening to is really important in the maintenance of democracy. Thomas Jefferson once said, an informed democracy will behave in a reasonable manner. So if you care about being informed, if you care about democracy, if you're a reasonable person, you are, of course. Please support your source for uncensored news and views and the voice of your community.